I'm Beth. And I'm Jamie. Welcome to Draw the Fix the Podcast, where I pick the podcast. And I shut my cake hole. And today we are joined by extra special guest August from over on Saving People Queering Things. August, say hello. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. Thank you for joining us. It's very exciting. Season six. I know. We're in the gamble era now. New era, new me. Oh, we've been doing this on our shows since season two, which is wild. It's insane how long it's been. It doesn't feel like that long. Can you believe we've been friends for like two years now? (laughs) It's the fifth season in a row that we've been doing these back and forth guest episodes. It's kind of sad that we don't have you somewhere in our season one. (laughs) I feel that way too about our season one. It's going to be like the only season (laughs) where you're not there. It's like a weird, like, oh, this was before all of us were friends. Yeah. <laughs> so we're not on each other's shows. When we finish season 15, we can do an extra special, like, 112 re I was redo. just going to say, we'll go back to oh. Faith. <laughs> we'll perfect. bring you on. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Incredible. I love it. That's perfect. Uh, we can make, like, a four-hour episode <laughs> of Faith. <laughs> that's approximately how much I'm going to have to say, especially after the finale. Season 15. Yeah. <laughs> right. Done. Lock it in. <laughs> But today we are going to be talking about the sixth episode of season six, You Can't Handle the Truth. Jamie, August, what did you think? (laughs) I think I'm just going to start with, did you like this episode, August? (laughs) Like, did I like it the first time I watched it? Like 10 years ago? Do I like it today? Did you like it today? I just need to know the vibes because we don't need another mid-season finale of season four. Okay, I'm not attached to this episode. Okay, good. I can be like, I don't, I didn't hate this episode, but I'm not attached to this episode the way I have been for previous ones I've guessed it on. I have a lot of opinions. They're not like deep affection. I think this is a very interesting episode, but I don't think it's good. Oh no, it's not very good. Yeah, good. Okay, lovely. I was like, okay, I'm just gonna get the vibes first. Because <laughs> I think this episode has some really interesting things to say. Unfortunately, I think there's just a lot of sexism here. Like, there's just so much, and it made me physically uncomfortable. I'm like, mm, they have that one scene where that lady's like, mm, I've just got my boobs did. I need a lot of attention. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? The writing choices in this episode are, mm-hmm. oh boy. Actually, I do very quickly before we get to into that, I want to point out the writers and directors of this episode because they're not huge recurrent names, and I think that that's a good thing, personally. <laughs> the- Turns out they can't handle writing supernatural. <laughs> We had the story (laughs) and then the Utella play were by the same group of people, but in like different sort of factions, I guess. But overall, we had Eric Charmello, Nicole Snyder and David Reed were our writing creatives. And then direction was Jan Eliasberg, who I don't recognize the director at all. I don't recognize. uh, Yeah, literally. Did she direct anything else? I didn't look it up, but... I'm going to suggest maybe unlikely. I recognize the name David Reed. I feel like maybe we've had Nicole Snyder somewhere before. I don't remember the Eric Charmello. Yeah, I recognize Nicole Snyder. I didn't look that any up, but I think that it's maybe important to touch on the fact that these are relatively un like unknown writers, directors, creators, because, yeah, this episode was, um, well, they made some choices, didn't they? <laughs> This episode conceptually is so interesting. Mm -hmm. Like so interesting. Like the concept of a being that makes you unable to lie. Great, fun, interesting concept. But can we just say at the top of the episode, for the record, big yikes. Yeah. Just a general big yikes over this entire episode because they took this concept, they took this thing that should have been so interesting and it could have been so insightful and it's like a lovely placement yes it's such a nice placement for this episode it is exactly what they needed at this point to really touch base with the whole sam is not being sam thing oh yeah and the fact that he can still lie even when in front of the god of truth is very interesting and i think that unfortunately a lot of the other sort of excess pieces around this episode just didn't lend itself like the episode isn't good around it unfortunately it's very no reminiscent of like tall tales like the concept Mm. is phenomenal but the execution leaves something to be desired and actually like august i don't know if where it is in the series but i know that they do actually i think it might be darb era i reckon i want to say it's like season 13 yeah they redo a very similar concept where there's like a a truth 
I think it's actually even later. Yeah, but it's certainly post, it's certainly post season 12. I'm just checking because I'm pretty sure, I think it's actually, it's season, it's season 14 that they redo this concept and they do it much, much better. so much better. It is like, it's memorable. So much better. And they get at the heart of like why this episode, why this concept is interesting of like what you can use it to do in terms of exploring characters. Whereas like they don't spend almost any time. They have one scene where they go into like Dean's stuff. Other than that, it's all just played for laughs and cringe and like very, very bad cringe. The scene that got me most is the scene where Dean is now cursed with only like people only being able to tell him the truth. And he goes to Sam and he asks him, a single question about like, oh, why do you let me get infected by a vampire? And then he just drops it. He's like, oh, well, I must have been mistaken. You know, here's the thing. Dean has been suspicious of Sam all season, not because of a single thing, because there's dozens of things that have built up. And he asks Sam about a single thing and he goes, oh, well, that makes sense. So I'm going to drop everything else that I thought. Every other little red flag and warning sign that I had picked up on. I've got the answer to this one question, so it's fine. Yeah. Also, I have such problems with the Bobby scene. Yeah. I'm like, come on. It just feels so incredibly out of character. Mm-hmm. Like, so incredibly out of character. The only thing that's true is that Dean is his favorite. Yes, that's the only part that, like, that's funny. Like, that's funny. But, like, the bit, and he's like, oh, Sam's a better hunter than you. I'm like, Bobby. Like, <laughs> sure. He said right now. He did clarify and was like, it's only right, like, Currently, which I honestly like, I would still argue that point, but in Bobby's perspective, Dean's rusty as being like, and again, this is like the truth thing is not about what's actually true, it's about what you think is true and like what your perspective is on something, which is why Dean can say things that are like objectively not true when he's talking about like his his stuff at the end. There's like truth, like objective truth, right? There's fact, then there's subjective truth, which is like opinion, but then there's also, I think. I would argue room for a third interpretation, which is like emotional truth, which is like, it's not what you actually think. And I think an example of this is like maybe with the sisters from like the first death we see in the episode, obviously her sister doesn't think that she's a burden. Like obviously her sister doesn't wish she wasn't around anymore, but she maybe feels exhausted. And so like, it's that like emotional truth of like, I love you so much, but I'm so tired right now. Like, I don't have the spoons to help you through this right now. And so, like, even though you would never vocalize it in the way that it comes out, like, because I would argue that what she says is not the truth. Like, I think it is just a amplification of her heightened emotional state. (laughs) Which seems to, I think, is the case with all of these. Like, most of them are are that. Mm -hmm. And it's a manipulation again because the whole reason Veritas the whole reason she's doing this is to feed is to eat is to like survive so like it's not it's not like a pure sort of thing exactly it's in her best interest for the people who are cursed to hear bad things but like the truth is not exclusively bad and there's no way that if you would you would get both you would exactly there is no point in the episode where anyone says anything nice while they're under the influence of the truth thing I can't imagine that not a single person would have a one nice truth to say. I mean, Bobby did. He did call Dean his favorite. But that's it. Like, so it's the idea that simultaneously, like, two things can't be true. Like, you can't, they can't hold both, like, good and bad things. And then also, it's this, like, kind of subtle, like, this kind of idea that, like, people ultimately think bad of each other and, like, yeah. everyone's ultimately kind of evil. Like, and I just, like, don't like that philosophical framework. No, me And I don't think Supernatural does well when it focuses on that. Like, Supernatural, as a show, does well when it focuses on, like, the choice to be better, not on, like, well, everyone ultimately is kind of the villain. I think that it kind of goes against Supernatural's, like, one of its more key themes and, like, one of the more, like, overarching, long-lasting themes, which is, like, yeah, you know, people are crappy, but they still try. That's the point of Kripke era, basically. No one in this tries. It's very clear that anyone who's under the spell just, like, suddenly loses all human decency. Like, the dentist, Mm. who, like, here's an objectively horrible thing that, like, he has every right to be horrified at, but then goes straight to violent, bloody murder? No? (laughs) 
I don't know if it's just like I'd like to think better of humanity in general, right? But like the things that these people are saying are just abhorrent. Yeah, just bad people. Like there's no just kind of mild thing that gets said. Like it's we really start off with some guy implying that he jacked off into food. Yeah, into the public. Yeah, like that's where we start, you know, and then we have the old woman saying that she ran over a homeless person and didn't bother to check if they were alive or dead. And like everyone's like violent in their thought, their their secret thoughts about other people. Even the fucking child who's like, I don't like my mom, I want to burn her alive. I'm like, what fucking eight-year-old? Like Yeah, I had big, big problem with that one in particular. Because <laughs> I was like, if that's the reality for a child, there's the only reason that's a, there's a very specific Mm. Like they're mm, that without context, like that's not funny. And it's again, it's like supernatural being like, we have to shove this idea in your face of like, you don't really want to know the truth mm. because if you knew the truth, it might make you mad. But like, they do it in the least sensitive way possible, right? They, it's like it lacks all concept of nuance. Which the later when they do this again, they do it. I will much say better. much better with more a lot more of that nuance and it ends up being a lot funnier like this is not funny even the things that they're trying to play for jokes are just like not funny jamie mentioned before like this episode is just chock full of misogyny and mm-hmm. just gross and like you gave the reference of like the woman who's gone and gotten a boob job and like good for fucking her i literally have a note which is like god forbid women women do anything like god forbid women yeah. just do anything for themselves like it right we have to make it about attention yeah and like the fact that it, i hate this like concept where it's like this assumption that anything a woman might do or any person might do really to alter their own appearance is somehow for the pleasure of others it's like can you just like can people just not do things because they like it for themselves and we do we need to moralize it yeah we need to like basically be like she makes this comment so that the audience can like laugh at her for daring to want attention for daring to like make a choice about her body exactly that's the joke that's the entire joke and then it's preceded by a very long very uncomfortable moment that doesn't even feel in character for dean like where is this coming from like this man is actively in a relationship yeah exactly a very committed one like Mm -hmm. what are you doing (laughs) not even just is he in a committed relationship he's in a committed relationship that is like consuming his thoughts right now because he's so stressed out because of the events of last episode he has actively not noticed many women in seasons mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense that he would suddenly like this, the joke's just bad it's just bad it's, and the bit with the dentist i <laughs> went and i had a dentist appointment this morning and then i came <laughs> home from my dentist appointment and watched this episode and i could not stare at Screen when he was doing any of the dentisty things because I remember what was coming and I was like I cannot I hate dentist scenes in all media always here's the thing <laughs> at least you went to the dentist before you watched the episode like it could have been worse you could have done it the other it's way true. I don't think I would have been able to <laughs> what I want to know about the dentist scene is I don't know if we all necessarily interpreted it the same way is the implication meant to be that that dude, like the daughter's underage. He's a pedophile, I think is this. That's the way that I've always interpreted it. That's the way I also interpret it, but I also just mostly interpret it as like, inc- like it's either that or best case scenario, it's just, I mean, it's rape either way because she clearly wasn't into it and it, he makes that very clear in what he says. <sighs> yeah, I just, that whole sequence is disgusting. But mm-hmm. the point that I was actually going to make is when he like first mentions the dentist first says like oh we should have like yourself and your wife over for dinner like how long it's been you know since we saw you and the guy starts talking about his wife and he's talking about how he's not into her anymore because she's old and her saggy skin makes me want to hurl and I'm like fuck you it just made me so mad it's just perpetuating these like really horrible ideas about like women's worth being in their bodies and like Mm -hmm. that their worth decreases as they get older because their bodies change and then men can't possibly be attracted to older women which is just categorically false 
And then you add in the whole thing about the woman who has a boob job and, you know, yeah, all of that sort of shit. And it's like, oh, this is an episode that was written from a place of deep misogyny. Yeah. It's like women cannot win regardless. Like either they do things to change their body to, you know, the context of the episode, the sort of description is that she's done it for male attention, right? Like you either you put work into it and you get, you're the butt of the joke because you're, you're trying too hard because you're an attention whore, like whatever the fuck they want to say, or the other end of it, which is you just age, which is a totally fucking normal thing to do. And yeah. you are the butt of the joke and you're made fun of for it. Like you, you literally can't. And you can't possibly win. be attractive. Or... or you're young and desirable. So therefore you should be raped. Which yeah. is just another fun implication. Mm. It's, oh. But even if you just look at the way the truth is directed at men versus women in this episode. Oh, yeah. Like, if you look at it's the so waitress gen- at the start of the episode, the way, like, so the, I think the first one is literally like, yeah, he's, like, implying that he jacked off into the fucking oysters or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. Then the second person who she encounters that tells her the truth basically says, oh, well, you're not hot, so you're worth less than this other waitress who was hotter than you. And, you know, and then the like she calls her sister and her sister says like you are worthless or whatever like blah 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 and if you look at that that's all very much sort of directly targeted at her because even the jacking off into the soup dude it's sexual harassment, it's harassment. Yeah, he, he, he starts, starts with, with i pity you yeah like you're sad and pathetic i pity you whereas if you look at the way that the dentist is framed who's the second victim we see of this one it's like it, it's nothing about the dentist it's, yeah, about his it's, daughter. Again about... it's about his daughter and all of the horrendous shit that this other dude has done. None of it is directly targeted at him beyond the fact that this pedophile's victim was his daughter. In all of these, regardless of whether or not the victim is a man or a woman, the man's feelings are getting centered either as the joke or as the one wronged or as the one that like with a shitty opinion, like the man is getting centered. And like none of the women get to be just real people who have get any sort of respect yeah. from the writers. From the writers specifically, like the writing is terrible. And look, okay, and okay, the conversation with Bobby is oh. so, it's awful. It's again, like really violent and like sexist and racist towards women to mm-hmm. start with. And then you get hit with this like heavily implied transphobic comment, which yeah. big yikes. Big yikes like, all around. I, like, I just hate, I just hate it because it's also just so antithetical to Bobby's character and everything yeah. we know about Bobby's character. And, like, the, like, little spruce of people like, oh, I get pedicures. I was like, that's a fun. Yeah. And that makes sense. You can end there. Stop there. And it's funny. Yeah. I believe Bobby deserves a pedicure. Bobby does deserve a pedicure. We all saw 604. Like, <laughs> let Bobby get his pedicure. Let him get spoiled for a half an hour. Like, mm-hmm. Don't make it a weird, like, fetish thing. Exactly. And, like, I just think that there are some parts of that which are, like, really great. Like, the fact that he's, like, just having a drink of milk. Like, he's not having a beer. He's having a fucking drink of milk in the middle of the day. Like, good for him, you know? You you need that Old man <laughs> You know, yeah. Like, he doesn't want osteoporosis. He's going to have those dense bones. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he needs that. And I'm like, okay, great. Bobby's a milk drinker. That's, you know... a fairly innocuous little tidbit about Bobby that maybe Dean wouldn't have otherwise known. Cool, fun, great. You know, Bobby's watching, I don't know what Tori and Dean is, but from the vibe I get, like maybe like a sort of midday talk show kind of situation. You look like you're Googling. (laughs) I'm I'm Googling. (laughs) Googling never goes wrong on this podcast. (laughs) Tori and Dean, the only thing that's coming up is Tori, uh, Tori and Dean that like met while they were filming uh, some movie and then they were a reality television series so they were okay. a reality television series called Tori and Dean in love and in as in like they they ran a bed and breakfast and <laughs> made a reality tv show about it so that's the context for Tori and Dean. it's reality tv essentially yeah so I was like okay so Bobby's yeah. drinking milk and he's watching reality tv about a bed and breakfast like okay like that's sure Bobby gets pedicures okay great like Bobby's favorite is Dean Bobby's love favorite it. is Dean which is like okay you know, I can Creating see it. Together. It's the kind of thing that he would never tell them under normal circumstances, but it's something that does make sense. That's a whole different conversation of like why that's the case. But like, yeah, it's a good fun detail to have come out here. And it's one that like 
does create some like tension but is also funny and also makes sense in character so it's like a it's what you want out of this kind of a like truth you know curse and I do think that the comment he makes about but Sam is a better hunter lately anyway like while I agree that I don't think it's necessarily true because like obviously Sam is making some pretty fucking questionable choices and like just because he's effective doesn't mean he's good at the job it's very like John and that's why I don't think that's what Bobby thinks because Sam is a good hunter in the way John was a good hunter in that he isn't <laughs> I mean we already know that on every level Bobby disagreed with the way that John hunt yeah Bobby had a really fucking low opinion of John's hunting so it doesn't make sense that now that Sam's acting more like John than ever he's suddenly like oh well now you're a better hunter than your brother considering you're doing all of the things that your father was doing that I fundamentally disagree with. And I have two points on this. Absolutely not. (laughs) Number one. What do you think? This is your podcast. Do you see this audacity? (laughs) How dare you? I'm so sorry for my crimes. I am going to continue anyway. (laughs) Number one is that I think that the point had to be made because obviously this episode is highlighting something's up with Sam. And so the fact that Bobby says Sam's been a better hunter lately implies that something has changed that has changed the way that Sam hunts right so I think that that was important narratively even if like looking at it like we are from a character perspective it maybe doesn't make the most sense I think for a narrative purpose like it's implying that Bobby's noticed something's different and it's changed the way that Sam is acting and hunting right you know what I'm okay with that I think it serves a purpose whether or not it's like totally in character like I can forgive it in this instance because I see why they're doing it but the bit about Sam acting more like John in his hunting, I think is really interesting because when Dean is confronted by Veritas in one of the final scenes of the episode, she asks him about the truth and she asks, what do you really think about your brother? And Dean says, I thought he was a monster. Now I think he's just acting like me. And it's like, babe, you have such a skewed perception of yourself. Like, the cognitive dissonance here is off the fucking charts. <laughs> then he does this whole, I told myself I wanted out, but like I, you know, basically I can't get out. Like this is who I am. I'm not a, I'm not a father. I'm a killer. It's a whole. Yeah. But the key thing is he does want out. He just doesn't see any way that he can be out. Of the closet and also hunting. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also the whole narrative is telling him, like through literally everyone else who found out the truth, it's horrible. So, like, of course, it's also horrible for him. That's that whole, like, meme. the truth does not set anyone free in this episode. <laughs> the truth is just actually really dangerous. Very dangerous. And also, what he says is, I told myself I wanted out, that I wanted a family. And I do. But what I'm good at is slicing throats. I'm not a father. I'm a killer. And so I think that's really interesting. Like, he's acknowledging that it is something he wants but he doesn't think it's something that he can have, which is so interesting, just generally speaking. So you say you hate me, but I think that might no. be a lie. <laughs> I think I'm not under any truth witchery. But the thing about it is that he, I think, is saying, you know, specifically, I'm not a father, I'm a killer because of the events of last week's episode, because of the fact that he did really nearly hurt Lisa and Ben. And even the point where Sam later on is, you know, saying, you know, I let you get infected because uh, we needed in the nest and I knew you could handle it and stuff. And Dean's immediate response is, I could have killed Ben. Yeah, specifically Ben. Like he doesn't actually say Lisa. And not that he, that wasn't a concern, I think, but like the fact that it's about the, he doesn't feel like he could have been a father. He feels like he's basically being told by Sam and by the circumstances that he's better suited to be a hunter. Yeah. And it's not worth trying. And 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 like also combining that with like what the conversation that he has with Lisa earlier in this episode, where she basically says And even in like the last couple of episodes, we've had Dean say to Sam, I know he's not my kid, but I don't know, lately I've been feeling like he is, you know? Like It's those things where I think, and even he has conversations with Lisa where he's saying, you tell yourself you're not going to be something, but my dad was always like this. Like he is so concerned about becoming John. And like, it's the fact that he is seeing himself in Sam's actions, which like we said before, is just fundamentally unbased. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think it's all sort of piggybacking off of this concept where he feels like he is becoming the John in Ben and Lisa's lives. 
even though he's doing a lot of things to try and prevent that from being true. Yeah. Don't look at me. My note was just imagine watching your father say he ain't a father. Oh, yeah. Fuck. <laughs> Poor Sam. I didn't even think of it like that. <laughs> Sam is unfazed by everything that Dean says. Sam does yeah. not look <laughs> at all. Which, I mean, we do get more, we get we get plot stuff. We get that Sam just kind of feels nothing. No fear, no joy, no nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing. So, new theory, nothing so supernatural. Sam's just depressed. <laughs> you think this season is actually just the season that Sam needs to get antidepressants? Yeah. Like, that's the... Sam's just shoved his traumas down so deep and the depression has risen and it's just... Yeah, that's just how it no. be. Genuinely, though, I think... Obviously, I don't know what happens, but I obviously I have been <laughs> on the internet for the last like decade and a half. She I, knows things, but she doesn't know. I know things. things. So I'm I'm feeling like I rem- I feel like there was like a Sam has no soul plotline. I feel like the more I watch of this, the more I'm like I feel like this is that. I feel like that is what the uh what they're building to. That Sam doesn't feel anything because he doesn't have his soul or whatever. And they do establish at the start of this episode that Lucy's still in the cage. But Sam's out. Because mm, we get that confirmation from Cass. We get that confirmation. From, which we haven't even talked about Cass in this episode. Though, small side note, while I'm still making my bigger point, the Cass in this episode felt like Sarah Gamble being like, well, I didn't really want Cass in this. <laughs> but, like, the ratings are starting to dip. So we'll give him, like, two minutes of Cass screen time and then he's gone. <laughs> She's like, we've really tried to limit him so far this season, but the girlies are crying out. Yeah. <laughs> So they're like, yeah, he can make a two-minute guest appearance. That's he fine. can make a two-minute guest appearance where Dean can yell at him because he's not showing up. <laughs> Basically, we can try to defame Cass's character and be like, oh my. And then maybe the girlies will stop begging for Cass to show up. Because they'll be like, Cass is not being nice to Dean right now. Which, like, you know, fair, but like... Adds to the destiel of it all. <laughs> it's the angst. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> they do have, like, a angsty, like, like that's the scene where Dean is... Just basically, he's like, I have been calling for you about Sam. Where right. are you? It's just giving jilted lovers sort of. Mm-hmm. I also have a note here, which is like, I think, I'm sorry, sorry, Jamie. Do you want to finish your point that you were making? And then we're sorry, going to get so sidetracked by this. All <laughs> I'm trying to say is I think that the more I watch, the more I'm like, oh, well, I think Sam is out of the cage, but it's just his body. His soul is still stuck in the cage with Lucifer. And I think that's how they're going to, like, finagle the whole, like, Sam's out, but Lucifer's still in there. Mm, Because, like, practically, how do you get someone out? Like, do you know how much work Lilith put into getting somebody out of that cage the first time? (laughs) Do you know how much hustle she displayed? (laughs) Do you know how far she girl boss, girl powered, and girl won her way into the apocalypse? Like there were armies involved. <laughs> exactly. So I just don't see any way of like Sam getting out of the cage while Lucifer's still in the cage. So it feels like what they're gonna do is like, oh well, the cage is spiritual, so it only traps souls, but like bodies are fine. I mean, we can't really elaborate no. on it, but what I do want to ask you is based in this theory that yeah. you're swimming in right now, the goddess in the episode does specifically say to Sam, you're not human. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that fits in with your theory? Well, yeah. If you think of the concept of souls, like, and obviously I don't know the law behind souls and supernatural, but if you think of the concept of, like, souls, and typically souls are intricately linked to your humanity, mm. to your very personhood, to your very being as a human. So if Sam doesn't have a soul, he doesn't have his humanity, therefore he is not really human. So we think that this is just Sam, but minus the thing that makes him yeah. ethical. Human, My, minus the thing that makes him human, which is, you know, partially ethics, mm. but it's also morality and it's also joy and it's also sadness and anger and love and all of these other things that make humans human. Mm. If he's been stripped of all of them, then why would they recognize him as a human if he doesn't have any of the things that make somebody human? Right. If he just has the form of a human... Because, like, shapeshifters can take the form of a human, but that doesn't make them a human. So what you're suggesting is, and I'm going to go, like, an AI route with this because I'm trying to find, like, a modern comparison. So, like, if someone took a transcript of everything Sam had ever said, fed it to ChatGPT, and then was, like, roleplay Sam Winchester. Yeah, kind of. Okay. 
like they're stripping out the humanity mm. that's the, like that's the key thing he still has all of his memories and yeah right so then where's the line like where's the line of like like what does that make him then if, if he's not human I, this argument to be fair that he's never been a human he isn't that's a blood <laughs> break I was just gonna say there's an argument that says he's not been human since he was a literal infant <laughs> would you say that like could he is he just I mean he's not a demon I want I, I do want to think about where does demon blood play into this <laughs> I'm just curious as to this theory and how it works out I like picking Jamie's brains but it's really hard because like we're talking very closely like around the plot and so it's like <laughs> like even we can't... my guess is completely off base they have established that something is happening <laughs> with Sam so I was like we are still talking about the same thing even if I am completely wrong mm-hmm. oh okay I have maybe a, a question that can tie us from Sam back to Cass because okay. it's something that I wanted to ask you anyway Cass says that he hasn't been showing up when Dean's been calling him. Mm-hmm. He's been ghosting him, essentially. Mm-hmm. And he says that the reason that he didn't come about Sam was because he has nothing to offer about Sam. And then later on, he says to Dean that he's going to make some inquiries. Do you have any, like, thoughts about... <laughs> because, like, the angels are saying they don't know anything. Mm-hmm. But do they not know anything or do they not know anything? You know what I mean? No, I don't know what you mean. I'm going to need you to elaborate on that. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. There's a difference between not knowing something because, you know, you just don't know something. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference between not knowing something because you very specifically not asked the question. Mm. Like, well, be like, I don't know anything and then I'll make some inquiries is a little suspicious. Yeah. It's like, I I know what's happening, but I've never asked the question directly. So I don't know what's happening. It's like that plausible deniability of like, I think I know what's happening, but, like, I just, they haven't 100% confirmed it, so. Like that bit in Hamilton when they're singing about the Ten Jewel Commandments, and it's like you'd have the Doctor turn around so he can have deniability. I was like, the Doctor fucking knows why he's there. (laughs) The Doctor is not an idiot. Dean is like, you used to be human or, like, close to one, and Cass is like, no, I've just learned different human skills. I've learned how to hide my true feelings and girl boss manipulate yeah. <laughs> possible deniability i've learned i've learned the strategies human use when they humans use when they don't want to tell yeah i don't know you look like cogs are wearing in your brain <laughs> i was just gonna say he's just decided he wants to be more like his favorite human just repress everything yeah the repression boy i did want to touch on the fact that when dean says to Cass, like i've been calling you for days you know like where have you been and Cass says, well, I didn't come about Sam because I have nothing to offer about Sam. I wanted to, like, make the point that Cass is missing the point. Like, Dean doesn't necessarily want him there for what he can do. He wants him there for support. He wants him there to be a friend because something is wrong with Sam. And it's not actually necessarily, like, it is about the practicality of, like, Cass is an angel. Cass may have some know-how and be able to, like, figure out what is happening. But it's also, like, I need support right now and I have very few friends. (laughs) And I also wonder if like he particularly also wants Cass's support because like I think he's feeling a little like stung still by Bobby um, not telling him about Sam being back and I think like that's still a little bit tender for him. And so I'm wondering too if he just like the idea of like Cass, Cass has been his closest ally for the last couple of years and suddenly to have Cass like all cagey and like disappearing and like like they had gotten to a point where Cass was answering and Cass was showing up even if Cass didn't have an answer Cass Cass was like yeah I'll drink with you on the last the night before the world's gonna end because what else are we gonna do and now Cass is like I don't have anything to give you so I'm gonna fuck off and Dean's like we had a thing where you were here it's very much like you mentioned before like it's like jilted lovers it it is it's basically like Cass is busy with his career because he's literally fighting a civil war (laughs) And all of a sudden, like, he just doesn't have time to have drinks on a Friday afternoon, you know, like. That's the old Christmas movie went. And then eventually Cass moves back to his hometown. You know, Dean settled down with Lisa, but he's not really in love. And then it's a whole thing. I've read that fan fiction. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Uh, I also wanted to point out that they absolutely had to have Cass show up at this point in the episode because they could not conceivably have him show up after Dean was cursed. <laughs> Well, then the question becomes, 
does that like the truth compulsion work on an angel oh good point because if it doesn't work on if it doesn't a non-human yeah mm. though to be fair at this point they're framing Cass as more human than Sam so mm. and we know that Cass at the end of season five like was like as close to human as we've seen him so oh that's so interesting I mm. want to rewrite of this episode where <laughs> and then basically the only thing I remembered about this episode going into this episode was the scene where Cass pours the drink that's really all that I remembered about this episode, if I'm being totally real. It's the only gift that I see regularly from this episode. And it's just the haze code of it all. You know, <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, <laughs> do some Googling. <laughs> but it's it's very much, it's interesting actually watching Leverage with Jamie. There's this whole sequence between these two drink characters, theory. Drink Theory, which is like Mark Shepard's character and... The main character, Timothy, played by Timothy Hutton, Nate. Yeah. So Sterling and Nate have this thing where throughout the seasons, they will talk and they will pour they'll pour drinks and they'll share drinks and things. And it, there's always something significant about who's pouring the drink and who's passing the drink. And then like whether, whether or not they, they drink, drink the drink. And- it's the like Sam's driving, is Sam driving the car because he's taking control of the narrative, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So it's similar like that. And so watching this scene, having watched Leverage and like talking relatively extensively about like the symbolism of who's pouring whose drink, it, I do think it's interesting like having that scene because it is very pointed and it doesn't actually serve a purpose like outside of an interpretive sense. Like there is outside of interpreting it through like a meta net lens and actually analyzing it, it does nothing to forward the plot in any way so I think it's a very interesting choice for them to specifically draw attention to it as well because they change the whole framing of the shot so that you can specifically see the drink being poured I I just think that's very interesting particularly after having talked so much about it through leverage Mm -hmm. I don't know if you have a leverage lens you want to apply to that but (laughs) I would take your silence as a no yeah I don't like because here's the thing I notice it in leverage because I'm watching it for it in the leverage from the first time you meet Sterling's character, who is like a reoccurring guest character, it is established from the game. Like the first time you meet Sterling, he pours an aid drink, which shows that Sterling is in control of that interaction. And then from there, it like you have a lot of subversions of it of where like Sterling will pour Nate a drink, but then Nate will take a drink out of his own flask. Or, you know, Nate will pour uh, Sterling a drink. Like, yeah. But then never actually, like, Sterling will never actually drink it. So it's like, it's kind of like, oh, well, like, are you buying what I'm selling sort of thing? Like, it's like, are you believing what I'm telling you in this moment? If you accept the drink and drink the drink, that means that you are working according to my plan. So, like, I didn't necessarily really, like, notice it here or assign any significance to it because I didn't think that was something. I, I felt like if drink pouring had some sort of significance in Supernatural, Beth would have 100% brought it up at any point in our conversations on drink theory and leverage. It is certainly not as consistent within Supernatural, but I do think that it's still like as a symbolic thing. Mm -hmm. I think that it presents similar points, regardless of what year it's in. Like this could be an our flag means death. And I think that it would still hold true. It's in there for a reason, even if that reason is like interpretation. Even if it's just a once off. Okie dokies. Does anyone have anywhere else they would like to go? I'd like to make a guess about a PSA. Oh, well, that's okay. okay. I was thinking, I was like, I'll let August make their point and then I'll jump in. So, guys, what do you think the PSA of the day is today? <laughs> when they go in and the coroner, they're talking to the coroner. We might have the same guess. He doesn't tell Sam that the bodies were stolen. Professionals do your job challenge? Why would you not tell them? We had the Somebody same guest. My guess was also like, for real though, why did he not report these stolen bodies? What are they like, telling just, the families of the people? Like, what? Do your, do your job, the ethics of your job in your job. Yes. <laughs> Particularly in a medical field. Okay, glad to know we're on the same page. I don't actually realistically think this is your PSA, but <laughs> I think that's very you're funny. Both, you're both incorrect. So that's that is actually surprisingly similar to a previous PSA, which was don't bribe morticians to okay. them. <laughs> no, my PSA of the day is telling the truth is not an excuse to be a dickhead. Yes, that's a good one. <laughs> There's a difference between not lying to somebody and weaponizing the truth just to be an asshole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Is that a PSA for the writers? And... <laughs> <laughs> It's like when people say, 
I'm not rude. I'm just telling it how it is. And it's like, you can be both things. You can be telling it how it is and be really rude at the same time. Or like what almost any time when someone says no offense before saying something. Like, I'm sorry, but that doesn't mean it's not an offensive thing that you're saying. Exactly. That's not like uno reverse. Like, you can't just put that in a <laughs> sentence and expect that it's going to be fine. Nobody's like... allowed to now take it badly. <laughs> mm, exactly. No, that's a great PSA. Okay, then what, what can I say? You've had two years to practice. I have. <laughs> and I still forget to prepare one almost every week. What I will say, though, is August, <laughs> I'm very impressed. I don't think we've ever had a guest offer to start the PSA segment most people sit in fear of it <laughs> no I was like I'm going for it it was in my notes and I was like I'm gone you're a driver pigs veteran that's how we know <laughs> <laughs> okay now that we've completed the PSA I think I have one more point that I want to make about the actual episode and that is I love the fact that Veritas is a woman but I hate the way they've framed her this like lends itself into the just the general misogyny of the entire episode. Mm-hmm. But and like I love a female villain. I do like y'all know I love a female villain. Yeah. <laughs> but like it makes sense that she's a woman. Like this makes sense. But they were like, mm, we're gonna do all of these little things about her that just make me kind of vaguely uncomfortable. And I'm like, was all of this necessary? Like you just like give some more depth, like give some more depth to like her motivations beyond just like pushing people to violence based on their truth, like based on what they say. Like Supernatural is usually pretty good at towing a line with their like villains of the week and having them be a little more nuanced and having it be like, sometimes the villain isn't really the villain. They're actually the victim. And like, it's a cycle of violence and blah, blah, blah. Like, and with gods, I get that it's a little bit less like that because they are kind of in that powerful position to begin with. But I do think that this episode does a disservice in the sense that she feels very Mm two-dimensional. Like they really don't spend any time. She's a plot device. Yeah. And I get it. You know, she's like a once-off villain of the week. Like I I get it to an extent, but they have done much better before. So we know that they're capable of it. It just feels like they were like, oh, well, we need a villain that's going to move the plot forward. Mm -hmm. Oh, she's a goddess of truth. And the way she moves the plot forward is by having Sam try to lie to her. And like, that feels like all they, that's that's the only thing they considered when they created her character. I I feel like they could have done something so much more interesting with her. And like, all of it just smells of like, well, we can't give them any depth. I think that an example of where they've done it really well and how they could have done this better is Carly from Hammer of the Gods. Yes. Because I think she gets a similar amount of screen time. She is similarly important to the plot of the episode, but Carly feels fleshed out. Carly feels like a character in and of herself. Mm -hmm. Veritas just doesn't. And it's also, I think, done a disservice by, like, the pacing of this episode. (laughs) Come back to a favourite topic. Yeah. (laughs) Like, the pacing of like we spend so much time we basically have two cold opens like we spend so much time with people whose stories who are not well fleshed out who aren't important to the major plot and we spend most of our time with truth coming out when she's not there and like I'm not opposed to that but I think the fact that she's really only in like the last five minutes like just means that we don't get the development that we need like I wanted it it to be more complex yeah and then try to like shoehorn her in but you can see her in like a tv screen in the background blah blah I worked out that it was her ahead of time. But, like, I wanted her to be the bartender. Mm. Like, how much more sense would that make? You go to a bar, you order a drink, and as soon as you've had alcohol, you're more likely to start telling the truth. And it's also, like, a bartender is one of those sort of... Unofficial therapists. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like like a hairdresser. Like, in particular... Tell them all your secrets. It's already a trope, so then there's that satisfying trope fulfillment. Yeah, it would give a good trope fulfillment. And it would just, it just so for me, it didn't make any sense. It felt like they were like, oh, well, we need to have like a backstory and we wanted to say something. So she's going to be a newscaster. You know, a newscaster. But I was like, it just makes so much more sense if she was the bartender. I yeah. was like, this makes so much more sense because the way they're framing the truth that's coming out is like these really deep personal secret truths. Which isn't like news truths. And like when Dean like figures it out, He's like, oh, who's the most likely to, like, deal in, like, this kind of thing? And it just, like, feels, it's a weird backhanded dig at, like, newscast and, like, that kind of, that industry, which doesn't feel earned within the episode. Like you said, Jamie, like, because these are, like, deep personal truths, it doesn't make sense that a newscaster is the best 
person or even a talk show host is the best person it's not like we got like backstory about this journalist who like did exposés or something because that would be different and more like along the right lines but this is just like we've just seen her just kind of doing nudes in the background I think that the way that it's set up like I could imagine if the newscaster was like wow I'm really sick of getting all of these like crappy interviews or whatever and I'm not getting any juicy stories like I can imagine them then having a reason to summon this like truth telling goddess and like you know being a becoming a vessel for this goddess and that that being part of it you know or I could imagine it being the bartender in the sense that it's a much more one-on-one connection like when it comes down to it they make a point that this woman like this goddess wants to be revered right like she wants to be worshipped because she's a goddess and that's just kind of how they go but like her victims she has no connection to they are so removed from her that it doesn't feel like not to like get into like sacrificial you know territory but like if you're making a sacrifice to a god it's typically ritualistic and like very graphic like you're involved in it you know whereas this is kind of like they're kind of just dying around her and then she's stealing their bodies like it just doesn't feel like she's just collecting lunch yeah it's like uber eats like it has yeah and it's also kind of framed as like oh now anybody in this town who asks for the truth gets the truth but it's like it it makes more sense if it's like centered around this bar Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like like a location it's like a location you know, anytime someone says to the bartender, like, can I tell you the truth? Like, oh, I just wish people would tell me the truth. And then they walk out of the bar yeah. and they get hit with the truth. That, for me, thematically, makes a lot more sense. It, it, more cohesive. It tells a more cohesive story. It's like too many details about her while also like no depth. Yeah. And so we just don't have a realistic, like she doesn't realistically make sense as the bad guy. Also, she is both simultaneously like powerful enough to like put this whole town under her spell, but so easy to kill. Yeah. And I just, I'm like, again, if we had been, if it had been centered around like the bar, then like that seems like a more realistic like amount of power. Yeah. That she like center it in that one place. And then you could have had that scene happening in the bar. You could have had a yeah. cool scene in the bar with that like back and forth with Dean and Sam and her, like much more interesting. The other thing is it just, like, if it's the bartender, if it's the bar, it feels like she's been gone for so long, but she's finally been invoked again. So she's, like, taking her chance and she's, like, building her strength. Yeah, it becomes, like, the the bar becomes the place of worship. Like, the bar becomes the the church equivalent, right? Like, when you go in um, Catholicism, you go to confess your sins, right? Like, that's part of the deal. It would be, like, a similar kind of equivalent. And also, you could have, in that instance, like, she offers like Dean the shot. She's like, this one's on the house or whatever. You could do something with that. You could do it like it's a truth, like a serum, essentially. Like if the patron is saying, oh, I just wish like they would tell me the truth or whatever. Or like, I wish I just knew what he was thinking or like however you phrase it, as long as it could be interpreted by the goddess to be, I want this ability, then she's like, you know what? This one's on the house. They take the serum and then, like, damn, we should just we should just rewrite this episode. I think, guys, <laughs> I think we should just again, just like this episode could be so could be so good. And we also could have found out so many interesting things with Lisa. With like everything's kind of just like either bland or actively terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like tell me why the fuck Dean did not call Samuel. Like, tell me why the fuck he has right? so many questions for that man. They couldn't for the actor's fee for an extra. <laughs> <laughs> they were already paying Misha Collins. They're already not so famous for you. But like, and the thing is, like, as soon as you center it around the bar, then you can have the opening scene. The waitress isn't a waitress in Biggerson. The waitress is a waitress at the bar. Mm-hmm. And then the bar's there the entire time. And you just think of it as like backdrop. Though on that note, like, first time we've seen Biggerson's? No, no, but it's one I'm of the remember, first few. But it's one of the first few. It's relatively few. new because I remember pointing it out to Jenny. I think the first time that we see Biggerson's that significant is Bad Day at Black Rock because yeah, they've is. been the like. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Right. So, so it's, it's been like, a while. Like coming back. Yeah. But I mean, Biggerson's becomes very prominent throughout the show, particularly from Gamble onwards. I think keeping that, I think that's in there for a reason that mm-hmm. like you, I wouldn't want to remove. But I, I agree with the rest of your point there. 
Wait, so what's up with Biggerson's that we need to keep that in the court open? Well, Jamie, I guess you'll have to. Is it a cover story for like an undercover like board of hunters or something? That's who Samuel's really working with? And No, it's just their stand-in for a chain restaurant because they didn't want to. They didn't want to pay McDonald's. Yeah. Yeah. Or I was going to say a Canadian restaurant and they'd be like, no, they would never have done that. Look, none of our references would make sense to anybody. So we, we try to make American references. And I don't know if we're always successful. Oh, it's very funny. It's one of the things I love listening to your show because you will talk about things. You will say things and I'll be like, I don't know what that is. That's that's not. <laughs> or, or okay, okay. So this is a good segue. I wanted to talk about I realized it halfway through. Okay, so in your episode on 521, you talked about deep dish pizza yeah. and I think it was you Beth that was like I do not understand I don't I, I don't get it it seems like soggy pizza <laughs> it's like soup in a bread bowl like I, which I get that yeah. I just don't understand presenting it as pizza see I also like felt similarly and then like last year I got to try deep dish pizza I live on the west coast and like we don't really have deep dish pizza here either and I got to try I was on the east coast and I like went to a place that had deep dish pizza and it was incredible and it like it 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 didn't feel like soupy. It didn't it didn't have the same feeling or taste as pizza. Like it had some of the same a lot of the same flavors, like the cheese and the pepperoni and like sauce. But like the texture was different, like kind of bread and dough and like thicker. And like just because it's deep, you just get so many toppings that I ate like one tiny slice and I was full. And it was very good. I ten out of ten would recommend. I also was skeptical until I had tried it. Okay. And I tried it and I was like, okay, I wish there was a way to get this where I live. Because my thing is like, if I can't eat it with my hand, I don't think it oh, counts you don't as eat it with pizza. your hand. <laughs> you don't eat it with your hand. I we definitely full fork and knife. It's more like eat closer to eating like a lasagna than it is to eating a pizza. <laughs> but it doesn't taste like a lasagna. I'm so sorry if any Italians are listening <laughs> it right like now. It tastes like a pizza, but in lasagna. <laughs> it's delicious. I loved it. When I came home from that trip, I was like, is there a place I can find deep dish pizza in my city? And it turns out there isn't, which is really sad, but I'm not selling this very well. Um, we'll take your word for it. I just had never heard it described as soup. as <laughs> soup and bread. I just needed to be like, it's not that. That sounds worse than it is. We have like pies, right? Like if, if I say I'm going to eat a pie, right? Like what would you imagine? I would ask sweet or savory. Okay. So... The default here is savory. Like if someone says, oh, I'm going to have pie, it's like a meat pie, right? And so like in my mind, what I'm looking at when I see like, there's this thing that people do sometimes where they take the top off the pie and they put the tomato sauce in the meat and then they mix that around. And yeah, see. (laughs) Oh, I've never had that. I've had a lot of savory pies. I've never had that. (laughs) This is like, this is like your cheap, like basic pie, right? You're not doing this to like a steak and mushroom pie, or at least I wouldn't, but (laughs) Some people will take off the top of the pie, like the crust of the pie, and put the tomato get sauce pizza in. Pie as well. Yeah, we can get pizza pie here. And so, like, you you stir it around, and like you'll eat the meat filling, and then you've got like the pie crust, right? And so that's what I'm imagining in my mind oh, when no. I think of no. Chicago deep dish pizza. No, <laughs> well, just imagine pizza, but with like more layers. Okay. <laughs> like, like there's just more layers of toppings, and like a deep, and like more dough. Like it is more like pie than pizza, but like it doesn't sound like that. <laughs> I don't know how to describe this better. <laughs> There's a lot of cheese involved. I think that helps with the texture. Okay. I'm a cheese fiend. I do love cheese. So uh, you probably would like this. It, it was like one of the greatest ratios of cheese in a pizza that I think I'd ever had. And I was like, Amazing. I am a fan of the ratio of cheese to bread. All right. It is like three inches of toppings and then like an inch of dough. <laughs> If I ever get the opportunity to eat a deep dish pizza, I will <laughs> update you. I will DM you immediately. <laughs> good, good, good. And if my brief experience with deep dish pizza is not indicative of all deep dish pizza, I am deeply sorry. Anyway, we should probably stop talking about things that are irrelevant to this episode. <laughs> all that to say, I like when you talk about American things that... You like when we don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I do think it's quite amusing. I also think the Venn diagram of like what you don't understand and what I don't understand, because I I understand more because I'm Canadian and there's more overlap. 
but there's still like every once in a while something very American in the show that I will be like I we do that is what Mm-hmm. And then Elena will have to explain it to me. So I do think it's very funny because sometimes you'll be confused about things that I'm like, oh no, I do know what that is. And then sometimes you'll be confused about something and I'll be like, yeah, I also don't, don't, don't get that. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't know what's happening. <laughs> anyway. And then I feel like just as often me and Beth are like, oh yes, this totally normal thing. And then everybody who's not an Australian is like, what the fuck do you mean? <laughs> but once in a while you make a connection and I'm like, what is this? <laughs> what is that or you talk about something and you and usually it's like an off like a throwaway comment it's usually not something that you like go into depth about mm-hmm. it's usually just something where you just reference something you throw a name of something in there and I'm like that's what is that food item that doesn't sound like a real food item tourism Australia should really be paying us at this point anywho okay I have just a couple more things that I want to touch on before we start to like wrap up I don't know August if you have many more points to make I think Jamie's basically tapped out (laughs) I'm vibing now I don't think I have any other specific oh yes just like why they have a fist fight at the why why yeah I thought that was a bit over the top yeah it just felt like not like the reaction that he would have at this point I originally thought like when I was watching it I was like oh, he's hitting him a lot. Like, I thought there was going to be one punch. Like, when there was a lot of silence and they'd had that prolonged, I was like, there's going to be a punch. But I didn't remember and I didn't think that there would be multiples. I thought it was going to be like a one-hit KO sort of situation because I thought he was trying to knock him out so that he could, like, drag him back to Bobby's, essentially. But I was like, they really said we're going to give Sam a concussion. No, he just goes to town. (laughs) To be fair, I feel like that's just their default move. They're like, we don't know what to do with Sam in the scene. We'll just knock him out. Sam did something we don't like, which we'll give him a concussion about it. A little bit, it should be all right. There totally won't be any ramifications. So I wanted to touch on Lisa in this episode. Oh, yes. I love Lisa. I think honestly, the way that she straight up says to Dean, and like the truth compulsion or no, I think that the fact that she is like, you shoved my kid, Dean. How about we do this now? I was like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Also, why Dean doesn't just tell her the fucking truth? She knows about monsters. Why doesn't he tell her her the truth? I don't understand it. Because she'd already specifically asked him to not come home unless he was coming home in one fucking piece. And he's like, I'm just going to ignore that for a minute. And now I'm turning into a vampire. I just don't endanger the people that I love. He's like, I'm going to come home with extra pieces. Those pieces are teeth. (laughs) Then why wouldn't you tell her that later? Yeah, exactly. That seems like some pretty fucking important context. I don't know if maybe if he just didn't want to tell her in this moment because of the compulsion or what, but like, it does seem whack because it's not like she doesn't know. Like, it's not like she doesn't know about what his job is. Yeah, exactly. Then she says that, you know, me and Ben can't be in this with you. And I was like, it sucks for Dean, but I'm also like team Lisa all the way. Oh yeah. She knows what's best for her and her kid. And she's going to prioritize that. Absolutely. The best call and you know honestly kind of the inevitable one like she they tried to they tried it and it didn't work and she says like as soon as sam came back like i knew that that was it you know i knew that it was over as soon as sam was back and that sucks for for everyone involved like it sucks for dean it sucks for lisa it sucks for ben sam seems fine <laughs> but but that seems like its own problem mm-hmm. yeah i want only good things for lisa and you know, yeah, yeah, and sucks for Dean, but also, like, that relationship was a very specific kind of relationship. I wanted to just very, very quickly touch on a couple of things before we do a wrap-up. Number one, Bobby makes the point, which is, like, that the worst-case scenario about Sam acting weird is that Sam is actually just Sam. And I think that that is really interesting, especially tied into everything that we were saying earlier and what Jamie was saying earlier about, like, Sam seemingly lacking a certain humanity as such you know so I think that is really interesting the business that they go to is called Harry's House of Horns and it made me giggle because it made me think of the album Harry's House and then in parentheses of horns and if that album was just literally (laughs) (laughs) just like brass we now know what Harry Styles named his album yeah obviously he's a supernatural (laughs) fan and he saw this episode he was like this is genius (laughs) this is where I'm getting it from this high quality piece of media top tier supernatural yeah (laughs) (laughs) I really enjoyed 
when Bobby says to Dean, just don't shoot him yet, because my internal monologue said, yeah, obviously you have to stab him. And I'm never going to be able to unthink that. (laughs) If you wanted to be effective. Yeah, you have to stab Sam. No, maybe that's what Dean's onto. Dean's thinking, I'm going to shoot him because that's not how you actually kill kill him. him. That's how you incapacitate. Exactly. That's how you get him back to Bobby. Do you figure out what the fuck he is? And if you stab him and you were wrong and it is Sam. Whoops. Now <laughs> I also love the line when the lady's like, why is the FBI investigating? And he's like, it's a new, more caring administration. And I was like, that is the funniest fucking lie. <laughs> oh, are there great lines? You mean the non-sexy kind of drilling? Oh my right? God. <laughs> Which uh, came out of Dean's mouth. The only fun thing about that dentist scene. Literally. Also, the moment where Dean says, you were gone for like two seconds. Where did you look? And Cass comes back with everywhere. Obviously. obviously. Where the fuck did you think? And then like a scene later, Sam talking to the person at the mortuary and he really pulled like, I'd like to speak to your manager, which is so funny. Dean's middle name is actually Karen Passagalong. (laughs) (laughs) And the only other thing that I really wanted to touch on is that when they go to the goddess's house and they're like sort of watching her like go up the stairs, I am obsessed with like her feature light thing. I don't know if you could call it a chandelier. It's like the dangling naked bulbs. Obsessed. I love it so much. It's so beautiful. It made me so happy. And this (laughs) otherwise mid episode, I really liked those (laughs) light bulbs. (laughs) They do catch the eye. And they work w- with her dress, like they the way they reflect off of like oh, it works. Yes. It's so pretty. Okay, I think that is everything that I really wanted to touch on. Do either of you have any final points? No final points for me. No. Okie dokies. In that case, how would we rate episode six, season six, You Can't Handle the Truth, out of five? I think I'm going to give it a two and a half. That's valid. It's... Yeah, such an interesting concept, but the execution is just wildly all over the place. And I think it, like, I think it's just a real letdown because it could have been a very good episode. Mm-hmm. Our mm-hmm. rewrite of it was fucking great. Yeah, <laughs> it just proves the point. Yeah, yeah, we fixed it. We we fixed it, but we had to we had to basically strip it down to the, the studs. Yeah, and start and over. Start again. So. Yeah. No, I agree. I I would probably give it the same. Honestly, so many parts of this episode just made me so wildly uncomfortable and actually we didn't touch on a lot of them because frankly I don't think it's necessary like if you've rewatched at the top of the episode well I'm if you've rewatched this episode recently it's not hard to identify all of the horrible things that are in this episode Mm -hmm. and I personally don't think they add anything to the narrative discussion I think they are just uncomfortable and just kind of bleh and I really didn't want to dedicate any more time to them than required like, I don't think it, I don't think we have to explain why these things are bad. I think it's just no. apparent. Yeah, absolutely. The next episode is titled Family Matters. Do you have any thoughts, feelings, hopes, dreams, fears, or predictions? So we're going to open and Sam will be locked in the panic room again. Because <laughs> that's the only thing they use that for. <laughs> that's the only thing they use it for. <laughs> we got to do, we got to get it three seasons running. We just got to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm assuming that. We're going to be diving into what the fuck is up with Sam, at least a little bit, whether we get answers next episode or not. Who knows? Yeah. But they will be asking the questions at least. And I also do think they're going to be pulling in like Samuel and the cousins again because it's like family matters. So I'm assuming they're dealing with some of their family shit. Though there's 15 more, like there's 15 seasons of this. So they're not going to deal with it all, obviously. (laughs) But like at least this one specific point they will be dealing with next week. And maybe. Like, the way they tie it in is they're going to parallel it with, like, a family of, like, monsters or something. Okay. Okay, cool. Do you think Cass will be in next week's episode? Yes. Yes. Because he said he was making inquiries, and if they're trying to work out what's with Sam, then they'll they're probably bring Cass back to info dump for, like, two minutes, and then they'll <laughs> kick him off the screen again. Okay. So I think so that- solid. Yeah, I think that just about does it for today's episode. Thank you so very much for listening. And August, thank you so much for joining us. Would you like to do your little pluggy plug plug? (laughs) I mean, everyone already knows at this point, but like. (laughs) 
Um, yes, you can find the Supernatural podcast that I host on, Saving People, Queering Things. Wherever you listen to podcasts, our website is clearingthingspodcast.com. And then my personal personal socials, uh, fandom socials are um, at AstroSpock on all platforms. I also host on another pop culture podcast called Find Things Well, which is also, you can find wherever you listen. Yes, excellent. Okie dokies. And if you wanted to get in touch or English, I always fuck this bit up. I always do so great the whole episode and then the outro, I'm like, I can't speak and I forget how English works. I mean, (laughs) doing great the whole episode is a bit debatable, but thank you. (laughs) That glowing review. If you would like to get in touch with us outside of listening to us ramble on in your ears for a couple of hours every week, you can always find us on any of our socials, all the links for which will be in the description box below, along with links to all of August's projects. And if you would like to get in touch, some possible conversation topics could include, what can we ask about this episode? How would you rewrite this episode? What's a better fun fact that about Bobby's personality that they could have snuck in there? I personally think that they should have put up in sleeping with Rufus for years, but <laughs> after 604, that would have just been so just kids perfect. Yeah. Alrighty. I think that just about does it. So thanks so much for listening. <laughs> Hopefully you had as much fun listening as we have had recording. And we'll have you back next week for Family Matters. Bye. 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 <laughs> oh, so are we Lord. Are we? Have we finished? Who knows? We're never finished. <laughs>